Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. Hi, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Now, before we get started today and get to our guest, we wanted to set the stage for this special episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Unlike our usual episodes, we're recording this one live during the EAMC virtual conference. Now, we've invited conference attendees to sit in and watch it all happen unfiltered, so pardon any errors or mistakes, and uh, there are a whole bunch of people tuning in right now as we record this. This should definitely be a really fun way for people to see how the sausage is made, if you will. Uh, many of those watching may be hearing about this podcast for the first time, too. So here's a quick catch up. Dave and I launched this podcast this past November. Um, we don't have to tell you how wild this past year has been for our industry. I was laid off. Dave was redeployed. And we were inspired to create some connection for those of us going through all these challenges. Now, there are so many incredible people in this industry on all sides with all different experience levels and backgrounds by telling their adventures, learning how they fight through adversity, and talking about our mutual love for live events. We hoped it would breathe a little life into an industry that was facing something unprecedented. Yeah, so be sure to check out Adventures in Venueland on wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, you know, we're on pretty much all the platforms. Yep. But also reach out to us on social if you know someone that you think we should interview. All right, without any further ado, today's guest needs no introduction, although he's probably used to getting one in packed arenas. We'd like to welcome two-time WWE champion, NXT champion, Intercontinental champion, and two-time Raw tag team champion. He's the first British world champion in WWE history and the 31st triple crown champion in professional wrestling, the Scottish warrior, Drew McIntyre. Yeah. Wow, what an introduction. And I see you're both wearing the McIntyre shirts. I appreciate that very much. Yes, for those uh, uh, just listening to the podcast, we are, uh, Paul and I are actually wearing matching uh, attire for the first time in a while. But Drew, I got to ask you um, first off, WWE returning to live events. Uh, you know, the return to live has kind of been the theme of so much of our of our conference this past few days. Uh, tell me about the feeling within WWE about returning to live. Well, everybody is so excited as all the superstars are talking about backstage. Our fans socially are so excited. In WWE, you know, we're such an interactive product. We've always said our fans are our number one superstars. You know, they create the unique atmosphere of WWE. And it was proven 100% right when we lost them. And I'm very proud of everything we've been able to do during this time period at the height of the pandemic when we had no fans from our performance center, which was basically a warehouse, till we pivoted to our Thunderdome and brought our fans in virtually. That's been great. Giving everyone an escape, giving everyone a constant every week with WWE original content. But there is nothing, nothing on earth like live WWE fans. And I can't wait to have them back on a regular basis. Absolutely. We are uh, excited as an industry to welcome it. And one of the things that I think is is so cool that I just wanted to address right off the bat is, you know, that I think, you know, you I wouldn't have expected this from you, uh, you know, not knowing you personally, but uh, WWE uh, had you kind of talk to and you did this whole uh, broadcast with Dr. Francis Collins. He's the director of the National Institute of Health. And you guys did a whole, you know, video, uh, you know, extended length video you know, which I think reaches the attendees who are coming to WWE. And the, the whole focus of that was to answer common vaccination questions. And I and I just, from all of us, you know, who are relying on that for the return to live, I just think that that's a great thing. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. I mean, I'm very fortunate in my position in WWE. I get some unique opportunities and to do some cool stuff and some important stuff. And that conversation with Dr. Collins, it was something I enjoyed very much. I asked a lot of questions about the vaccine that I had personally. 
and a lot of questions that I've heard people ask in general, I've read online, I've seen on some of these stupid clickbait websites. I put everything to him. He was very gracious and answered every single question. And what it came down to basically was just check out the facts. Go online, go on a reputable website and check the facts for yourself. Please don't click in the clickbait and listen to anything absolutely ridiculous. Right. Oh my gosh, so true. And you know, I think you brought up the point that so many people just hear word of mouth and then, you know, everyone knows how those rumors go where they just kind of catch fire. So I think it's so important just to, you know, dig into the facts, you know, do your homework, take some time, uh, but, you know, using your platform to help elevate that and to inform people. I think that's, you know, so important. That's something I'm very, very grateful for. Like the opportunities being in WWE provides me as I've gotten a little older and got more responsibility means more to me than even some of the in-ring stuff, like um, having a platform to provide such a positive message, an important message, like the Dr. Collins talk or from, you know, or virtual hospital visits. That's one of my favorite things we've done over this past year. Generally, we get the chance to go in, meet um, some kids during like September and Pediatric Cancer Awareness Month. That's something I was like, man, we're not going to get to do that. We found ways to do it virtually and meet these kids. And when you see and talk to some of the kids and how positive they are going through what they're going through during these difficult times, it gives you some you know, real perspective about what's important going on in the world. And I'm so, so grateful for any opportunity I'm given off the television show. So what was what was life like in that WWE bubble? And you know, that first time, you know, back in the ring after things kind of kind of shut down and, and performing without the fans there. What would what would walk us through how what that experience was like for you? Um, it was weird. Uh, I mean, first of all, before I forget, you know, I want to thank um, the Amway, Tropicana, and the Yingling Center for hosting um, WWE during this time. But yeah, it was very, very strange losing our fans. As I mentioned, they are so important to the show. And at the height of the pandemic, when we were still bringing everyone you know, WWE television and there was literally no fans there, I was the champion. It was my first time I was champion. I was leading by example. And I realized we have to figure out new ways to reach our fans at home, to make that connection. So I figured there's no wrong answer. I'm going to try new things. I'm going to throw things against the wall and see what sticks. And I tried some wacky stuff. You know, I was looking down the camera, breaking the fourth wall looking everyone in the eye at home, which you wouldn't see generally in WWE or a television show or movies, but there was no one in the arena. So it's the only way I could make that connection with people at home. I asked my wife to give me ideas, dare me to do some stuff. Generally, I was open and raw in segment one of a three-hour show. And I remember Tiger King was big at the time. And she said to me, I dare you to say, hey, all you cool cats and kittens, and you come to the ring. So I looked right in the camera, <laughs> said, hey, all you cool cats and kittens. And it was made into one of those, those little gifts or whatever they're called. And yeah. sure enough, it got passed around the internet. So if anyone wasn't watching WWE, they would see that little gif of me saying, I go, what on earth is happening on the wrestling right now? And hopefully tune in. And, uh, you know, that time was a, a incredible growth period in ring-wise for our performers also, because if your game wasn't tight, you know, if you weren't applying the holds correctly without any audience kind of covering for you, people could see through it. And we have a more sophisticated audience these days. They watch UFC, they watch boxing, they're aware of the application of holds and strikes. So everyone really tightened up their ring game until we pivoted back into the arenas with the Thunderdome, an incredible piece of technology, all the lights, lasers, pyro, everything you expect from WWE. So good on TV. Oh, it's unreal. And for us as performers to drive back up to an arena and get those butterflies again, even if it was a little bit different than usual, it felt so cool. Most importantly, we had the virtual fans back in the building. We could hear them over the speaker in real time. And I got a cool entrance. You know, I come out in my, my kilt. I'm from Scotland. I have my Scottish broadsword. I shove it into the stage. It sets off a pyro show. And there's pyro in the crowd, which we obviously couldn't do. If there was fans there, when I say the fans react in real time, it's real time. And I know this because I tested it in the very first week of the Thunderdome. Right before I walked to the ring, I turned to the production assistant and said, is this actually live or is there a 10-second delay? No, Drew, it's live. Cool. Didn't ask permission from anybody. I marched to the ring. I started my interview live on television and just said, you know what? This is awesome. I want to do a test. I'm going to do a thumbs up right now. And I want everyone in the Thunderdome on these thousands of screens to join in with my thumbs up just so I could get that visual. So I threw my thumb up, I turned around and I felt like time stood still because the thumbs felt like they didn't go up for the longest time. And <laughs> thankfully, it was just because when you're on live TV, it feels like things take forever. Every thumb went up sure. at the same time. It was in real time. And that was such a cool feeling to know, even though they can't physically be there, they were still there watching. They were still there over the speakers. But again, nothing like live WWE fans. 
This podcast is brought to you by Conversion Digital, award-winning provider of email marketing services for some of North America's leading venues, including Scotiabank Arena and Budweiser Stage. Is your email working hard enough to drive engagement and profit for your venue? Conversion Digital can help you supercharge your digital customer experience with hyper-personalized communications, beautiful design, and the latest interactive technologies. Take your email from generic to unforgettable. Connect with the experts today at conversiondigital.ca slash venue. Conversion Digital, that's email with impact. I think one thing that's interesting that you kind of hit on, and you know, so many people that are listening to this right now, we're all trying to find these silver linings of something that we've had to change over this last year, but that we're going to be better for it moving forward. And I think it was interesting where you were talking about kind of tightening up your, you know, game in the ring. And are there any other things that you can think of that, you know, are things that you may not have, or you or some of, you know, the other people that you're working with may not have put a focus on or thought about and kind of had to in the last year, but you're going to use that moving forward. Um, I mean, there's been so many things we've tried that have worked and so many things we've tried that weren't necessarily so successful. One of the biggest things I can think of just off the top of my head is we started trying some cinematic matches because we didn't have the live fans in attendance. We have done similar things in the past where an arena full of people maybe didn't you know, enjoy it as much sitting in the crowd looking at the Titantron and watching like a little movie. These cinematic matches we have are basically mini movies and um, the best description of one I guess I can give is The Undertaker versus AJ Styles from last year's WrestleMania. They had a match on an off-site facility. It was like an old barn. They had a lot of smoke and mirrors, a lot of fireworks going on, and they were doing a lot of trash talking back and forth. It was like a little mini movie. We call it a cinematic match. It was very cool. We did a bunch of those. And I think now that fans have watched them within this time period going forward, if we decide to have a cinematic match, the audience in attendance in the crowd will be more accepting to watch it on the screen than they would have been in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely been a great chance to, you know, uh, flex some muscles and try some new things. And, and, and Drew, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, there's such a easy path to just go back to the, let's get back to the way things were. But there's a chance here as an industry to try some new things. And uh, you did something new here, which I was excited about, finding about you are actually an author. You, you oh, just yes. a book. Uh, Drew McIntyre, a chosen oh, this old thing. This old thing is always by <laughs> my side. <laughs> right at arm's reach. So I actually I want to read the, from the back of the book where uh, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins says, he says, with Drew, it isn't just the mountains climbed and the roads traveled. It's the way he has gone about his business with humility, passion, and true fire. So, so take us back on, on your adventure through venue land, take us back a little bit on that journey back to that, that village in Scotland and tell us about how you first became a, a wrestling fan. Uh, I've been a wrestling fan as long as I can remember. Um, as I detail in the book, one of the first stories is I called a family meeting when I was about six years old and informed uh, my mom, my dad, my brother, uh, my nana, that I'm going to be a wrestler, I'm going to be in WWE. My dad remembers this to this day. I know he reminded me, that's why it's in the book there. And obviously, everybody just said, cool, Drew, no problem, because that's what kids do. Hey, I'm going to be an astronaut. Hey, <laughs> you're right. I'm going yes. to ride a T-Rex one day. All right, cool, right. you're going to be in WWE, uh, cool kid. But then as the, the years passed, I think my dad started to realize, wait, he's deadly serious. And when I got to about age 10, 11, I sent away to America for the Inside Secrets of Pro Wrestling, Volume 1 and 2, that told me all the backstage workings, all the secret words of wrestling. And it told me, like, you know, you have to keep the secrets of the business. It's called kayfabe, but I couldn't pronounce it. It wasn't written phonetically. So I was decided I have to keep kafabi. I have to keep the secrets of wrestling. So I took these <laughs> books I put them in a briefcase. I put them on top of my closet and I go to school. So all my buddies that, you know, they believed everything hundred percent what they saw on screen and I knew how it really worked. So I was playing along with them with the storylines, et cetera. In my head, I was like, I'm part of the business. I'm keeping Kafabi right now. So I was just totally, totally obsessed from the youngest age. And when I got to 15 is when I finally, after about 10 years of harassing my mother saying, I want to go to wrestling school. She finally said, yes, yeah, she can go to wrestling school. The problem was the only wrestling school in the UK at the time 
was a 12 hour trip. So it was a 24 hour round trip. So I had to do a lot of convincing to and get her to agree to let me go to my initial wrestling lessons. But I'd make that trip 24 hours all way round um, as often as I could, as often as I could afford, as often as my mom and Nana would give me money till eventually myself and my buddies started the modern day Scottish wrestling scene, which is uh, was thriving prior to the pandemic and will be thriving again as things start to open. Now, aside from wrestling, you also, did I get this right? You did go on to earn a, a master's degree in criminology from uh, in Glasgow? Uh, yeah, I surprised people that <laughs> I'm the criminology guy. I had to do something like, uh, I started wrestling at 15. My mom and dad came to me and said, all right, Drew, clearly you're serious about this thing. You've not shut up about your entire life. We've got to make a deal. you got to stick in at school. And that was something I wanted to do, eh, not just I was willing to do for my parents. And my part-time job was wrestler, but I was in school the entire time, went to university, studied criminology, and at 21, I eh, got the degree. And uh, the same year, got signed by WWE. So I always tell everyone out there, especially kids, you know, just follow your dreams, believe in yourself, but at the same time, get that education, get something to fall back on. And also, if you get, you know, some qualifications that might help in your job, that's handy too. Like, I'm getting into criminology and entertainment where people are insane, so I can profile everybody and figure them out. <laughs> I'm just imagining you on, like, a future CSI show, you know, CSI Scotland, and it's you, you know, you're the, the criminal host, uh, you know, maybe down the line. Uh, Maybe, maybe. You know, I was a big fan of Murder, She Wrote when I was a kid. And I remember the oh, first yeah. day of criminology, we're all sitting there and the teacher was saying, you know, do any of y'all watch um, shows that might relate to the class? Basically, everyone says CSI until she gets to me. The Murder, She Wrote, everyone's laughing, thinking I'm joking. I'm like, no, I'm not. she's the greatest serial killer of all time. She travels from town to town, writing her little murder mysteries. Miraculously, someone dies in every town she goes to and she helps solve the crime. <laughs> then she moves on to the next town and kills again. Jessica Fletcher, greatest serial killer of all time. That's awesome. Well, you know, so so you're there and you know you're you're you have some support from your parents, but they're you know, I'm sure they're asking you to have that degree as a backup, but you actually end up in professional wrestling. Tell me about do you remember the the first time you, you stepped in a ring as a as a professional wrestler? Yes, I remember my first wrestling lesson. I remember telling the teacher how lucky they were that they finally had uh, myself. That was going to be the next Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. They were the biggest stars at the time. And I got in the ring and it turns out as much as I thought I would take to it, like a duck to water, I did not. Um, the bigger moves were fine. Like they're easier, body slams, suplexes, etc. Most people can do them. But when it came to the actual wrestling, the application of holds and counter holds, it did not come naturally and I got very frustrated and I realized this is going to take a lot more work than I thought and taking the falls in the ring over and over, I realized that it hurt. <laughs> the ring isn't a bouncy cast. I was getting whiplash constantly. I had headaches every day of training. The ropes were leaving uh, marks all over my body and in the corner, that's the tightest part of the rope. You see someone getting shot into the corner of a wrestling ring. They have to hit that thing square on because if you don't, you get black and blue under the armpits until uh, your body calluses. So I realized very quickly, you better want this thing because it is not going to be easy. Thankfully, I did want to. Yeah, the athleticism needed uh, for professional wrestling is, is I think it's, it's more than people understand, you know, that, it, that there is a, uh, a definite uh, skill that goes into and a special kind of training to go in to do, you know, exactly what you do. Um, so what I wanted to ask you about is, you know, because you said, you know, Drew, you mentioned, you know, hey, and then I signed with WWE at, at 21 and, you know, and, and here you are on top of the WWE world. But I think what so many of the marketers listening here that have faced some serious adversity can relate to is there was not a straight line, right? It was not a, it was not an easy path of, of going from here to there. So I, are you okay talking about some of your kind of, you know, your struggles to, to get to where you are today? Oh, of course. That's why I wrote the book. I didn't just write the book because I decided, you know what the world needs right now? They need that Scottish wrestler to put out a book about his life. It was <laughs> as, a, as a company outside of WWE approached WWE and said, would Drew be willing to put his story on paper? You know, he's always so open about his ups and downs, especially in his personal life. And I really think he could help some people. I spoke to my wife about the idea and we decided, OK, if we're going to do it, we're going to, I'm going to be a complete open book. I'm going to go to, into everything, get my family's permission, of course, first. And the goal being, it's not just written for wrestling fans, it's written for everyone and for people who might be in a dark place to know no matter how bad things might get, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And your future self, as tough as you're going to be, will look back and be grateful 
for all the experiences and hardships you went through and lessons you've learned. So, you know, you started, you started off in, in, you know, kind of at that young age of wrestling, but it, you know, again, and you were signed with WWE, but kind of took a turn there for a little bit and you ended up working in some other industries a little bit. Would you walk us kind of through that, that journey a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I got signed 21 years old um, dream job couldn't have gone any better. A uh, degree university the same year. Didn't have to think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? The plan was WWE. Everything was going more to plan than it possibly could. Got to America. I was on television three weeks later, the fastest ever person in WWE developmental, the place you can learn like wrestling school to the major television show, WWE Smackdown. Eventually Vince McMahon himself walked out on television and said, this is the future right here. He's a future world champion. My nickname was the chosen one. Nothing could go wrong. Wow. No pressure, I, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. At the wow. time, like I, Reliving it through the book, I, I realized that as much as I appreciate it, I didn't understand the gravity of the opportunity I had at the time till years later. But yeah, nothing could go wrong until it did. And things professionally took a downward spiral. Personally, um, I went through a lot of hardships, as I talk about in the book. You know, my mother got sick. She's the most important person in the world to me. She got cancer and eventually passed, unfortunately. And I was off the rails, off the deep end. If I told WWE exactly what I was going through, they would have took me off TV and got me the help I needed. But I kept it to myself. I was acting out. I wasn't just burning the candle at both ends. The candle was on fire with gasoline at the top of it. And eventually I was fired from my dream job. And I had to sit there afterwards and look myself in the mirror and say, you know, you went through, you know, a lot of crap. But realistically, you weren't giving it all you could. This was your dream job. And there was a time you would have been happy to be the water boy. You lost perspective. You got kind of bitter about things and you have to understand it's on you. And if you want this to work, you're going to have to kind of reinvent how things have been done. And generally, when people get fired from WWE at that point, they went off, worked smaller shows and hoped to get back one day. I said to myself, I don't want to do that. Like you start at a certain like wage financially and then you go around the world once, then it comes down and down till you finally reach a wage that you're going to stick at until you hopefully get signed again. I was that's terrible business sense. That's not what I want to be about. I want to grow my brand. I want to remake who I was when they saw me last in WWE. And I'm going to make my brand as big and profitable as possible. And thanks to social media and opportunities presented by companies across the world, I went around the world as the busiest wrestler in the world. I took everyone on my journey socially and that brand grew and grew and grew until I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I may not go back to WWE. My name is really making a difference right now. The WWE name sells the product, but... My name, like it was my real name, I was going by Drew Galloway. It's really making a difference. And we took um, some shows in Scotland, for example. Their biggest show was 1,500 people to 2,000 people to 4,000 people to my last wow. year there, 7,000 people. And that was wow. from like myself and my buddies doing this together and my name recognition and building that brand. And I was like, man, maybe I won't go back. Maybe like the next step's Japan. And that's where I was figuring I'd go to next before William Regal, who works for WWE, gave me a call. He's always been a mentor to me and said, we take a phone call with Triple H, have a conversation before you make your next career move. And sure enough, Triple H and I spoke on the phone. He'd been watching what I've been doing the three years I was gone from WWE. I was very proud of how far I'd come as a businessman, but more importantly, how far I'd come as a man, which is a lot to do with my wife. Let me put that out there. <laughs> Everything to do with my wife growing up finally. <laughs> and uh, he basically made it clear, I feel like it's time to come home. And I agreed. And that was back in WWE in 2017. You mentioned mentorship, which I think is so important in every industry, uh, you know, literally every single one. And so I think it's so great that you did have that person back at WWE who kept in touch and kept watch on you. Are there any other people either there or elsewhere that you met in life that have been huge mentors and had like a really big effect on you as you sort of gone through those tough times and helped sort of level you and bring you back? You obviously mentioned your wife is a big, uh, huge influence as well. But like, are there any other wrestlers you look to or connected with, or even just people that, you know, are outside of the industry? Sometimes you need that person that's, you know, doesn't even know what you're into, but they're just like the, the rational person over here. Like, you know, take a step back, let's reset. Um, but who has sort of played that role in your life? Yeah, there was lots. I mean, during my younger years um, and during that time that I was gone from WWE, there was a lot of people um, looking out for me and kind of being the voice of reason at times, um, like probably too many wrestlers to kind of name that I would look to for wrestling specific advice. But when it came um, to, you know, finding 
my potential as a person, it was all done to my wife. I give her like 100% of the credit. Like she did not have to stick with me during the, the toughest of times. And namely when I was going out and having the time of my life all the time, like every single night was party night. And she stuck by my side and believed that I could be better. And uh, I was gone. When I say I was gone all the time, I used to be gone four days a week, 52 weeks a year with WWE. Outside of WWE, I was international every three weeks. I was home maybe three days a month maximum. And she stood by my side the entire time. And, you know, she was younger. She was working on her degree. She's a nurse practitioner now, very intelligent, very beautiful. Didn't have to stick around, but believed in us, believed in me. It was always the voice of reason. And as I talk about, you know, as a chapter in the book, it finally kind of came to a head where I broke my neck at a show in Newcastle, England. And I flew back to America, got the MRI, realized I was very lucky in the sense that it was a non-displaced fracture. We could heal it without surgery. And I was going to be stationary for the first time in eight weeks of my entire life. I'd always been at school, told where to be, what to do. I was WWE, where to be, what to do. Outside of WWE, where to be, what to do. And now I was stationary for the first time ever. And during that period, I really kind of had a hard look at myself, had some difficult conversations, you know, with her, with the people important to me and decided I'm going to cut out all the negative aspects of my life. You know, the people that aren't necessarily bringing me up, surrounding myself with like-minded people, which is also very important. And had a conversation with my family. You know, they were all on board about helping cutting out those negatives. And that eight-week period brought my wife and I closer together, changed my mindset. And as well as I was doing at the time, this was about two years into being gone from WWE. I was on top of the world, biggest wrestler outside of WWE. But cutting out those negatives, my body totally changed overnight. The brain cloud I had lifted. I had so many more ideas. I had all these big visions and within... A matter of months, I was talking to WWE again. So, yeah, I, I got to put it on her. There's a lot of people that I've had that have helped me specifically in wrestling, but when it came to life, you know, it's been the wife. Drew, Paul Paul mentioned, you know, mentoring. So if you could go back in time and mentor your 21-year-old self and kind of give yourself a piece of advice to kind of help yourself along that journey, what, what would you tell yourself at that point? Be too scared to tell myself anything. No, no. Yeah. I had this question a few times, and uh, with butterfly effect, you know, I just sure, want yeah. to change a thing. <laughs> like, um, I'd be so you wanna, worried. You don't want to disrupt I'd, the time space continuum. Yeah, I'd be so worried I'd mess things up because, like, realistically, all everything I've been through, all the ups and downs in life and professionally, and had such a unique journey that no one else in this industry has ever had, prepared me to be the champion to lead WWE during a time that has never happened before. Like right at the height of the pandemic, the ball was handed to me finally that day, basically. Okay, there's no fans. Congratulations to the champ. Figure it out. And I had been through so much that nothing could phase me. I thought, okay, instead of panicking, I went, let's try new things. Let's just throw it against the wall. See what sticks. I asked some of the, you know, my mentors, wrestlers have been around a long time. People like Triple H and Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, etc. And they would give me their thoughts. But also at the same time, they went, we don't know, Drew, this has never happened before. <laughs> but I was right. confident enough because of my journey that I was able to tackle it full steam ahead. And I love the responsibility of being champion in WWE. Like when you're champion, there's different levels to this thing. There's so much responsibility. I've mentioned some of them already. And I see everything as an opportunity that I'm so grateful for. I love it. I thrive with all the extra responsibility. I love this business so much. I think about it 24-7. And I can't wait to be back in those live arenas. When you when you get back to the live arenas, what what is it that that we as the arena people can? Is there anything that we can do? What do you what do you like to see when you go into an arena? You know, is there you know some places that make you feel more comfortable than others? What what is it that uh, uh, from coming from your side of things uh, makes an arena experience good? I mean, I just love being in the arena, and I'm just amazed how things work and how everybody together make these shows happen, be it a concert or WWE. And the more like um, responsibility that I've um, been given over the past year, I've started working with departments outside of you know my job in the ring, and I realized there's a lot that make <laughs> WWE makes WWE happen, and there's a lot that make all these different shows happen, and without everybody going out there and selling the tickets and you know doing the work in the arenas and along with our production crew backstage i don't get to be on tv doing the easiest part of all which is the wrestling part in the ring so truly as a team effort i was always appreciative of it in the past but going forward into the future you know every single person that's in that building that's helped to put that show together was so essential from top to bottom yeah i do i think a lot of people realize more than ever in the last year just how many pieces are in that puzzle to put on a live event like that you know i think the general public was kind of looking at shows and thinking okay this 
you know, random artist comes in and yada, yada, I go see him perform on stage. Oh, they've got a band. Okay. And then I'm leaving that night. And I think uh, hopefully, you know, all the attention that was on live events over the last year sort of raised the platform of, you know, just, just as you mentioned, top to bottom, you've got so many people involved in making that event smooth, you know, from people that are coming into the parking lot to, you know, people that are selling tickets to the production crew and everyone's got to be on it. And, you know, when you have a big event like that and you knock it out of the park, it is so many credit to so many people that the general public will never know about, you know, the unsung heroes, if you will, of this, of this industry. Absolutely. And yeah, I can't say thank you enough to everyone that's involved no matter what your role is, trust me, your role is significant, your role is essential. And myself as a performer is perfectly aware I can't do it without you all, so thank you. You know, sometimes at our live events, you know, you go backstage and there's not much stuff back of house. You know, sometimes there's just not a lot of equipment. It's a, it's a show where everything's out on stage, but WWE, there is nothing like that back of house feeling because it is a buzz. And as the thing gets ready to go live and the, uh, the fans are there live, I just, I can't, wait to experience it again. And uh, I can only imagine what that's like for you. Speaking of uh, not being able to imagine, what is it like when one day, you know, you, you wake up and you've got, you know, your own line of action <laughs> figures or uh, as Paul and I are well, holding up are. now, these are the official <laughs> Drew McIntyre pops. If you uh, are familiar with the pop collection. Uh, Look, he's Drew's got, got the, the mustache kind of at an angle, you know, it looks just, just like you. Yeah, that's <laughs> really awesome. Like, it never gets lost to me how cool that stuff is. Um, you know, I've been fortunate. I've had action figures for, oh my goodness, since I was about 22, 23, about 13 years now, and it never, ever gets old. I'm still a big wrestling fan myself. I'm just the one that took it too far. And every time I see a new action figure, myself featured in a video game, you know, it's a new sticker album. Let me grab this calendar over here. Yeah, go yeah. for it. <laughs> this is like a cool image for me because where I was when I left the company to coming back and being in a calendar with like John Cena and oh, Roman wow. Reigns with myself as a centerpiece, like that, that's just surreal to me. And it never that's is awesome. lost on me how lucky I am. And like, I know I had to work hard, etc. but I'm very grateful for my support and cast in my entire life that have always believed in me, lifted me up and helped me get to where I'm at today. And my mindset is still every day is day one. Like since that day I got fired, I woke up today and I said, right, I'm going to tackle today, Drew. I've got about eight hours of media and I'm going to give it my absolute all. And there's people listening today that haven't heard of me, perhaps don't know the WWE product. And by the end of it, hopefully they're a fan because that's my job. Well, and I think you're passing on that love of wrestling to that next generation too, you know? So just like you had it when you were younger and fell in love with it and are inspired to become the wrestler you became, you know, there's those kids out there that are playing with the Drew McIntyre, you know, figurine and they've got the whole ring and everything in their bedroom floor and their mom's, you know, yelling at them to pick up all their toys, but they're the ones that are sitting there like, I'm going to do this when I grow up. And, you know, sure enough, I'm sure many of them, you know, will follow that dream and do it, but that's got to be sort of surreal to have that sort of cycle, you know, go. It's insane. Like absolutely insane. And uh, every time I meet a kid or I see a social media message that I have inspired them in some way, it's so cool. And I've got the, the greatest fans in the world. Like they've always stuck by me, believed in me, uh, related to me because of my my journey. You know, I'm 6'5 and 270 from Scotland and Harry. Like not a lot of people would just relate to that guy without a story. But because of my story and struggle and overcoming, I really made a connection with our WWE universe, our fans. And whenever I get the chance to do the meet and greets, especially the virtual ones the past year, um, the point out to me, they being, you know, the staff that produced the meet and greets, say it's interesting that generally we do these things, everyone asks wrestling questions or, you know, a question about your career or something. They're generally saying thank you, you know, for, you know, giving me an inspirational message, for pushing me to go forward, for supporting, you know, a certain part of the community that I might support. Like it's always interesting they forsake their question and that is like the biggest compliment ever to me and I'm so grateful for my fans out there. When you have uh, yourself in a video game, uh, do you uh, and you play that game? Do you play as yourself? <laughs> I always wondered if I was like in a video game. Would I always want to? Would I always feel compelled to choose myself in the game? No, no, I'm not sitting around playing with myself all the time. I've got better <laughs> things to do. <laughs> um, yeah, generally, um, I will have a look at my character and make sure that um, you know the the stats are appropriate and uh, my tan sure. is on point and I'm jacked enough. And then I'll go somebody else and I'll beat myself up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I just want to see my defense is like, because I'm not very good. So I let the computer go me. Then I'm the terrible one getting beat up by the computer. So nice. it's like preparation. You know? it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> practice, right? Digital practice. And then even go. if you lose, you can just be like, you know, hey, I'm just too powerful. What, what can you do? That's right. <laughs> and, I'm, I'm, and if I'm winning by some miracle, which I'm not, I'm not very good with video games, I'll just throw the match in it. <laughs> make sure, make sure <laughs> exactly. virtual true wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you who has who has the collection? Uh, do you collect the stuff? Does a uh, family uh, uh, keep it, or do you you, you kind of keep your own little? You know, because I think there's some things that you definitely would want to have. You know, 20 years down the road from now. Yeah, I mean, my dad's probably got the biggest collection of anybody. You know, he's my number one super fan, and he makes sure he gets his hands on anything he can possibly get. And my brother also. And his son, my nephew, you know, James, they're building a collection. But since I returned to the company, you know, I regret during my first years not collecting mementos from matches and things that you can't buy in the store. And it was uh, one of our wrestlers, Randy Orton, who gave me the heads up. Like, you know, it's something he's been doing for years that his dad, who was also a wrestler, told him, just collect little bits and pieces from significant matches. You know, one day you're going to look back and go, wow, it's so cool I kept this. So every big pay-per-view match I have, and I've been very fortunate in the past, my goodness, like 14 pay-per-views in a row, like 14 months in a row, I've been fighting for the WWE Championship or I've been WWE Champion and I have some kind of memento for each and every match, which one day I know I'll look back on and go, yeah, that was cool at one point. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the next big pay-per-view is uh, Hell in a Cell, if I'm right about that. And this is a, a special match where, uh, if I'm reading the news right, you are you are signing a contract that makes this one of your most important matches. Yes, I signed the contract on Monday, uh, this past Monday night, Monday Night Raw in USA. It was myself and Lashley and my opponent were in the ring. Uh, we've had a couple of matches thus far that, number one, at WrestleMania, his manager MVP distracted me, caused the finish. I was choked out. The second match at our last pay-per-view was a triple threat match. The other individual was pinned, and he wants this to be the last match. He doesn't want to keep fighting me. He's terrified of me. And he wanted a stipulation where if I lose... I never get another title match as long as he's champion. And I countered that I would like, like the stipulation to be inside Hell in the Cell. And that's the name of the pay-per-view. It's a big, dangerous match, but it will prevent outside interference. It will prevent anyone else getting involved. It'll be a straight singles match. And it will be very, 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 very brutal because I've been inside one. And when I say that thing hurts, it hurts. I made the mistake of climbing up it like an idiot last time. Myself and Randy <laughs> oh, Orton man. ended up outside of the cell. If you don't know what a cell is, everyone listening, you know, imagine a cage match when the cage is around the outside of the ropes. This is like extending the cage five feet around the ring so you can walk around outside the ring. You're still surrounded by the cage, but you have a roof on the cage. Somehow, Randy managed to get bolt cutters, cut his way out of it. We fought to the top of the 20-foot cell, down the side of the cell. And at one point, I was 10 feet up, but I'm also six foot seven with my boots on. So I get hit in the head. I turned around. I looked down about 17 feet, fell off the cell through a table. And whatever oh you think God. about wrestling, you can't fake gravity. And I got the worst whiplash. Right. I bit through my tongue. My tongue looked like I was a snake or something. And then I'm willing to go back into ah. that thing with Lashley to regain my WWE championship. <laughs> Well, now you've got the experience, right? That's right. Now I know <laughs> what not, know to, what do. not no. to do. Yeah, Don't leave the cage. <laughs> and if he goes up to the top of the cage like Randy did and says, come up here, I'll go, nah, man, I'm good. If you could <laughs> go back in time and mentor yourself before the uh, the Hell in a Cell, would you, uh, you give yourself some advice or would you just let that happen as it is? Yeah, I probably wouldn't go up on top of the thing. <laughs> like if Randy, Randy went up there and said, come up here instead of my Scottish temper getting the best of me and climbing up there, I would just let him go, no, you have to come down eventually. I'm just going to wait here, you crazy person. So I won't fall for it this time. This podcast is brought to you by Carbon House. Tired of your 10-year-old venue website? Does it take you 30 minutes to add an event? pulling your hair out, hoping your website will survive that next big on sale? Well, it is time for an upgrade and Carbon House is there to help. Carbon House, a proud partner of the event and arena marketing conference for well over a decade is obsessed with making the event marketer's life easier. They don't just make beautiful websites. They make beautiful websites that are simple to manage and sell more tickets. Find out why your peers rave about Carbon House and visit them at www.carbonhouse.com. Built exclusively for event and arena marketers. Now it's showtime. 
This podcast is brought to you by Conversion Digital, award-winning provider of email marketing services for some of North America's leading venues, including Scotiabank Arena and Budweiser Stage. Is your email working hard enough to drive engagement and profit for your venue? Conversion Digital can help you supercharge your digital customer experience with hyper-personalized communications, beautiful design, and the latest interactive technologies. Take your email from generic to unforgettable. Connect with the experts today at conversiondigital.ca slash venue. Conversion Digital, that's email with impact. Well, Drew, uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We have we have uh, just a few more minutes here and, and a couple more questions, but I do want to mention that if anybody does have a question they want to have us ask Drew, they can ask there in the, uh, the Q&A or the uh, uh, chat. Paul, you had something fun, uh, a fun idea. I'll throw things over to you. Sure. I mean, we all know how great you all are at cutting promos. You know, we've all seen uh, the spots and, and you know, someone, you know, with the mic in their hand and the ring. So we thought it would be fun if you would indulge us and in, uh, kind of cutting a promotional locker room speech to all these people working in the industry, you know, at these buildings, they've had a hell of a 15 months or whatever it is at this point they're trying to bring live events back we're all kind of excited to uh not only bring it back for our livelihood and for our passion about it but i think we all know how much live events meant to people in the last year and you know it was a tough year but on top of that people didn't have that release of you know being able to enjoy live events like wwe or a concert so if you you know wouldn't mind giving a little uh kind of pump up speech, if you will, to all those listening, uh, we would love it. All right. All right, thank you. All right, everybody. I don't want to put any pressure on you whatsoever. I know we've been going through some difficult times right now, but the one thing that everybody enjoys most is getting together, having fun inside these venues and experiencing live entertainment and it can't possibly happen without you all. So again, no pressure, but pressure. I'm going to need you all to get out there. Spread the word. Make sure everybody knows that WWE specifically is coming to town, but all the concerts and events are coming soon. You're going to work. You're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to keep going. Sleep. You've been sleep for the past year. Screw that. That's out the window. You keep pushing the word. Get it out there. Get them in the building. Because in the end, my job's easy. You, you are the reason that everybody's going to finally say they're in the arena, they're looking around, they see a rowdy crowd, and off the top of their lungs, they scream, thank God, we're back to normal. Thank you. Yes. Love it. Oh, yes. I got chills during that. I'm ready. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, y'all spread the word, please. Like, thank you all for getting the word out there. Like, I'm so excited for these shows. I can't stress it enough. Like, uh, this run, 25 shows initially leading to SummerSlam, our big event on August 21st in Las Vegas Saturday night. Like, they're going to be like little WrestleManias every night. I know they're going to be sold out because of you all. Thank you for that. And that's the theme of it all. Aside, WWE been an awesome show for everyone from the youngest kid to the oldest adult. I want everyone to feel like, man, we're back to normal. This is cool. Amen. Need that. Uh, a couple yeah. questions I've seen here in the, in the chat. Uh, Jason Wagner asks, what was your favorite match or opponent when you were the champion? Ooh. A few. I mean, it's hard not to say my favorite match was my first world title victory against Brock Lesnar because it was my first WrestleMania main event. It was against somebody like Brock Lesnar, and I did beat him in five minutes, although it wasn't how I imagined. You know, I imagined 80,000 screaming fans at Raymond James Stadium, 15 minutes from where I'm sitting right now, family all there, wife there, crowd going crazy. You know, because of the nature of the times we're in, it was in front of nobody, as we talked about from the performance center. But I understood that, wow, we're pushing ahead. We're giving the world this escape right now. I'm the last match. I have a feel-good story. I can make a lot of people happy right now. This is the biggest moment of my life. And when I heard the feedback, 14 million social media interactions over two days, up 60% from the year prior and such positive feedback, that is the coolest moment of my career and my life because we were the show that the whole world was watching to take their mind off things. Wow. Uh, we've got another one here from Brendan Muhammad who uh, is asking, what is your favorite arena to perform in? Uh, you know, do you have a, 
a favorite, maybe from a favorite moment or one that maybe a match that you had in a building and you're like, whoa, I'm in this arena, you know, it was there kind of a standout. Yeah, there's a couple. I'm trying to narrow it down. Um, maybe the, the Madison Square Garden because it's the garden for one. And also like, you know, sometimes the fans there could be a little ahead of the curve. What's going to be the next thing? And I remember I had a match leading up to our event, which is called the Royal Rumble, an event I won to earn my world title match at WrestleMania. And I was doing some stuff, but I wasn't a significant part of the show at that point. And I remember going into a match at the Garden where my opponent went out, who was the good guy, and they cheered. They got into his act. But then I came out, and it was such a huge cheer, even though I was the bad guy. I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy. And I got in the ring, and my opponent kind of whispered to me, hey, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that was kind of cool that the Garden kind of foreshadowed, hey, you're going to be a good guy hey, coming down the line. And sure enough, that's the direction I went and was a successful portion of my career. And also, I got to shout out Chicago, uh, the Allstate Arena. Yeah. In Chicago, I'm positive that's the name, but Chicago and the Allstate are just such a wild, loud, passionate bunch. Like, I can't give them enough credit that every time WWE are there, they are absolutely unbelievable from start to finish. But at the same time, these 25 shows, our WWE fans are so insane to begin with. I can only equate them to European soccer fans. I know all of these live shows are going to be absolutely mental from start to finish every single live show. Do you, I, I have a question of my own. Do you have a favorite, you know, sports team or, you know, soccer? You mentioned soccer. I don't know if you're a huge soccer fan. Football, maybe. Uh, uh, or you might know. Yeah, foot, football, <laughs> right? Uh, or do you have a NBA team or anything else that you follow that you're kind of, you know, big time in the fan zone with? Um, I mean, the team that I follow that I'm, um, you know, very dedicated to is Glasgow Rangers in Scotland. Um, you know, we've got a good back and forth, like socially, which is crazy to me, um, that I have the you know, internet right. back and forth with the club that I love growing up. But it's interesting that like uh, Rangers were actually relegated to the bottom division around the time I was fired. And so they had to start from scratch in division four and work their way up to division three, two, one, back to the premiership. And every year as I improved myself, we were coming up together and they finally got back to the top level uh, football and their rival Glasgow Celtic had won nine seasons in a row. The record in Scotland is nine seasons in a row. Celtic have done it. Rangers have done it. Celtic were about to do 10. I won the WWE championship. I said to Rangers, listen, I finally done it. We've rose up together. I've won the WWE Championship. It's your turn now. You got to win the league. And sure enough, they prevented ten in a row from Celtic. They won the league, and it's been a wow. pretty cool year professionally for Drew McIntyre and Glasgow Rangers. But also, I'm from Tampa, so I support the local teams. It was very cool for like a bunch of our teams and Drew McIntyre to be champion at the same time over the past year. Sure, sure. And so everyone stopped crying Bay, about right? the Bucks. Tampa Bay, yes, yes. Tampa Bay. <laughs> everyone stopped crying about the Bucks for once. It's been about 12 years I've lived here. I've here, oh, the books suck. Finally, we won one, so everyone showed up about it. It was happening. Right. <laughs> Makes you appreciate those victories when they come along. Hey, uh, you know, WWE has been a longtime supporter of the event and Arena Marketing Conference. And, uh, you know, from the days of uh, some of the uh, Bernie and uh, uh, coming out in the, the bathrobe to interview uh, WWE, we're just always so grateful for uh, everything WWE does to support uh, not just this conference, but the live event industry. And, and we can't get wait to get back to live. Before we uh, wrap things up, I want to hit you with our fast five. So a fast five is basically, we have five quick questions, just looking for, for your instant response. So these, these go pretty quick. Uh, first up, the city with the craziest WWE fans. London. If you could wrestle anyone in history, who would you pick? Right there, man. How about the favorite concert you've ever been to? Def Leppard and Kiss. Nice. How about your That's favorite vacation one. spot? Mm, don't get many of those these days. So <laughs> let's just say Air Scotland, where I'm from. <laughs> uh, I never get home very often, so it's like a vacation now. Very nice. Going Last home. one. Uh, what's the theme song? to the Drew McIntyre show. So basically you get your own, you know, uh, reality show where cameras follow you around all, all the, all the time, maybe back home to Scotland with the wife. What is the one song that sums you up? What is the theme song to the Drew show? <sighs> maybe turn the page for Bob Seger. <laughs> nice. So much nice. time on the road. <laughs> 
Well, Drew, hey, uh, we're going to turn the page on this conversation. And thank you so much for joining us for the uh, the podcast. Uh, you mentioned your social media a couple times and how much it means to you when you hear from fans there. Uh, what, what's the what? Anything you want to plug there? Or where can people find you? Yeah, I mean, everyone can find me at D McIntyre WWE on Twitter and Instagram. Um, that's the one with the ticks. Like, I mean, I get messages from people all the time interacting with fake Drews constantly. So I'm just, I'm the one with the ticks. I love to hear feedback. I'd love to hear feedback from today. If you've got any thoughts on the show in general, I'd love to hear that too. You know, I'm always looking out for ideas and things that I can try on the show. So don't be afraid to send some ideas this way. But once again, I want to reiterate, you know, I can't thank everybody enough. First of all, y'all for the conversation today and everyone that works on making all these shows happen across the world. Like entertainment, you know, really is such a big escape for everyone, especially mentally. And we really need it. And we're getting back to normal. I can't wait to get to some concerts. I can't wait to see the live WWE fans. So thank you, everyone out there for everything you do. Hell in a Cell is coming up. The book, uh, which you've mentioned several times, I look forward to checking it out. Oh, I do. Drew McIntyre, A Chosen Destiny. Where where can people find uh, the book? <laughs> uh, you can find the book basically everywhere. Um, I'm so fortunate. Like I was in Target and Walmart over the past week, and it was there. <laughs> I was like, hey, there's a book with my face on it. That's my book. <laughs> so it's Amazon. Like I was going to say, you can see people in the aisle looking at it and seeing your face and then looking to the Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, one thing with the mask thing. I might keep the, the mask thing for now. <laughs> Just, like, even though, like, I'm six five and got the long, <laughs> dark hair and ponytail and giant beard, you know, I'm kind of blended in recently. So that's been pretty fun to be, like, secret agent man without anyone knowing, like, who I am. <laughs> uh, but I do, miss, I do miss the banner with the fans. Uh, that is something, like, honestly, I do miss and I can't wait for when things are back to normal. We're at these live events. We do have you know meet and greets at the arena etc and i get to talk to the fans one-on-one once again because i missed that so much because i mentioned earlier i'm just the wrestling fan that took it so far i love entertainment and i can't wait to things get back to normal we're already on track for it right now well, we are all so excited for the return to live of WWE. And uh, thanks to everyone who joined us today for this session. Uh, and thank you uh, for listening to Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest Booking and Brand Strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest Research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.